Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of Wade in the Water. Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. The title of our lesson this week is Enough for All. Our two passages this week focus on stewardship. As we get closer to Thanksgiving, our thoughts begin to turn to being with family and friends, gathered around well-prepared tables of turkeys and all the fixings. What a wonderful thought that is. So this week's Sunday School lesson entitled Enough for All seems to be right on time. Our central question for this week is, what can happen when I share what I have? We hope you enjoy the podcast. Our scripture is Malachi three ten through 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will be no room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-15 through 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I think in a lot of ways, this week's lesson and last week's lesson entitled The Lord Provides go hand in hand. As believers, we profess that God sustains us from one day to the next. Give us this day our daily bread. But what if that provision is accomplished through the generosity of others? When we share what we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, everyone is provided for. No one goes lacking. In Malachi 3, the prophet tells the people to give tithe of their earnings to the work of God. Our lesson book tells the story of a pastor being asked by a member of his church. He said, Pastor, when I tithe, Should I give 10% of my gross income or my net income? Now, I'm sure everyone's heard this question before, but what exactly do you think this member is hoping to hear? I would say he's hoping to hear net income because that would save him a few bucks. Of course, if he was hoping to hear gross income, well, he could just pay it anyhow. In some ways, 
it sounds like we could reword the question like this. What's the absolute least I can give and everybody still be in a good place? And then the question is asked, how much is enough? The guideline I have always heard was to give 10% of your income. And then there's always the question, is that 10% of your net income or 10% of your gross income? I'll admit that I pondered that question many times in the early years of my life. I'm not sure if I was being stingy or just wanted to be obedient, but over the years the question now barely crosses my mind. I think it was solved when someone said to give until it hurts. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. That's certainly what we learn from the widow in Luke 21.2. She didn't give out of her abundance. She gave out of her poverty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 says, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Tithing has little to do with percentages and everything to do with generosity. The Lord says to give a tithe of everything that we have to Him. Then He will open the windows of heaven and give to us an overflow of blessings. We all need to work hard so that our tithe can be a good measure of what the Lord has given back to us. Are we even supposed to tithe? I mean, when you read verse 7, it says each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. It says you should give what's in your heart. So if your heart says 10%, then you should give 10%. But if it says 20%, you should give 20%. If your heart says give 10% of your gross income, sure, go for that. If it says give 10% of your net income, give 10% of your net income. If your heart tells you to give $2, just give $2. But for sure, this passage doesn't say anything about 10%. 10% was the deal in the Mosaic Law. That was in the Old Testament. And that was the deal that was made between God and the Jews. You know, sort of like the Ten Commandments. But in this new covenant with Jesus, there were some changes to the laws. Instead of all these laws being written in stone or written on paper, in the new covenant, these laws were written on our hearts. If you remember, Jesus explained some of these new changes of these laws in his famous Sermon on the Mount. If you remember, he said that it was written that thou shalt not kill. But in the new law, that isn't good enough. The new law says that anyone who's mad at a brother or sister, he's already committed murder in his heart. You see where I'm going with this? One of the commandments said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But then Jesus says, Anyone who even looks upon a woman has already committed adultery in their heart. And there it is again, in their heart. And I think that's how our scripture today is. Old Testament said 10%, but the New Testament says just give what you have decided to give in your heart. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul encourages us to give generously to the church. Like Malachi, Paul says that if we give cheerfully and generously, God will be pleased and shower us with blessings. If we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. You know, all through the Bible, we read about this principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 says, what you sow, you shall reap. And in this text, the author is talking about sin. 
So if you sow sin, you will reap sin. You know, in the Bible, there's other spots. You know, it says, if you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you give forgiveness, then you will reap forgiveness. But in today's talk about sowing and reaping, we're talking about money. But it's still the same principle. What you reap is what you will sow. If you plant one row of corns, don't expect to get three rows of beans. I mean, if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you sow one row, don't expect to get 40 rows. I love the translation in the NLT version of the scripture. It reads like this. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. It doesn't get much easier to understand than that. There is no doubt that when we give our money and possessions, we are obeying God and helping others. But there is another dimension to our giving that we sometimes overlook. We are also helping ourselves. Paul writes, You will be enriched in every way by your great generosity. In other words, generosity has three benefits. It pleases God, it helps hurting people, and it enriches the life of the giver. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. You can sow one tomato seed and once it grows, not only will you get tomatoes, but you'll also get a handful of seeds. So that one seed turns into a bunch of seeds. And this is how sowing and reaping works. Of course, tonight we're talking about sowing and reaping as it pertains to giving. If you sow a few seeds, you get a small crop. But if you sow generous, then you receive a generous crop. Then we should share with others, for most of us have much more than we need. The old, the poor, the sick are always with us so we can share what the Lord has given us back to us. The scripture says if you give to the Lord, he will increase it and give it back to you. Let's listen to what Proverbs 19 verse 17 says. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. So it sounds like when you give, you get and there's nothing you can do about it. That's just the way this sowing and reaping thing works. You know, in our other scripture tonight from Malachi, he says the same thing. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this, and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings that there will not be enough room for them all. And then in our Corinthians scripture, Paul says, give cheerfully and generously, and God will be pleased and he will shower you with blessings. So when you give, you get. So at first glance, you might say, well, this New Testament rules always seem a lot harder to follow than the Old Testament rules. I was doing good, I didn't kill anyone, but now you're saying I can't even be mad at them? But you might think, well, I caught a break with this here new tithing thing, because I don't have to give that Old Testament 10%. I can just give what is in my heart, but not so fast. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. It says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So you are not your own. You were bought at a price. 
Your life was bought and paid for by what Jesus did for you on the cross. You belong to Him, and so do all your things. And so under this new covenant, you don't owe 10%. You owe 100%. But He says you don't have to give 100%. He says just give what you decide to give in your heart. You know, most people would just rather know the amount. They would rather do the math than they would to have to, you know, sit down and work it out with God in prayer. God's Word tells us repeatedly that if we give to those in need, we will not lose anything ourselves. So why do we sometimes still find it difficult? If I gave a simple answer to that question, it would be lack of faith. I've been there myself. Now in my golden years, I can reflect on the times when money was tight and we lived from paycheck to paycheck. But one of the things I vividly remember was when we tried to make a plan to buy something, we could never get it to work out on paper. It was almost impossible to make ends meet. But guess what? It always worked out. Growing up, I never knew that we were poor, for there was always food on the table, a warm, safe home, clothes on our backs. Most of all, there was love and a love of God. We didn't have a new car every year, no TV. But we did have a radio and we had books. Yes, our faith grew and our needs were met. The tough times made us trust more. We just learned that God wasn't a paper person. He had his own plan and as always, God's plan is always the best plan. Verse 7 goes on to say that there are two ways that you can spoil this gift. Given reluctantly and given compulsively. And I want to talk just a minute about compulsive giving. Because I have to admit, I really missed the boat when it came to understanding this one. For some reason, I kind of thought giving compulsively was like when you were kind of put on the spot. Or maybe, you know, you're reeled in by something you see on TV, some kind of need. And so I thought scripture was saying don't give compulsively. Instead, you know, think about it and study it before you just give your money out. Don't just give it away compulsively. But after I started studying this lesson, I think that giving compulsive means something different than that. I think it is when you do the same thing every month. You do the math and you write the check. Then the next month, you do the math and you write the check. You pay the light bill, you pay the phone bill, you pay the church bill. You give without considering the gift or even considering where it's going. We know we write the check and we really don't even have no specific hopes and how it will be used. We write the check and we really don't even know how our giving is gonna help. And I think that's what our scripture today means by compulsive giving. I've mentioned this before, but I think I do compulsive praying, especially like when I'm saying my blessing. It goes, God is great and God is good and thank you for the food and Lord, thank you for the hand that prepared this food and thank you and let it be for the nourishment of my body. And, and in reality, I'm just saying the words. I'm just saying the words and I'm thinking about them mashed potatoes. I think we do this also when we say the Lord's Prayer in many cases. We just recite the words without considering, you know, what all the words mean. I think once in a while we should say the Lord's Prayer and just slow down and really consider what it's saying. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us for our trespasses and give us strength to forgive the people who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation like you did Eve or like you did Jesus when you led him into the wilderness to face the devil. We pray that you don't lead us into those types of temptations. But if you do, Lord, we pray that you be with us and you deliver us through those temptations, just like you delivered Jesus. And, you know, you see what I'm saying? 
The check for 10% has no feeling behind it, no thought behind it. Verse 7 says, Give whatever you decide in your heart, but it should not be a burden. Chapter 7 finishes by saying, God loves a cheerful giver. Seems like God doesn't want it if you don't want to give it. This passage reminded me of an episode of The Simpsons. In this episode, Homer buys Marge a bowling ball for her birthday. Well, Marge doesn't bowl, but Homer does. And the real funny thing is, is later you get a good look at this bowling ball and it has Homer's name inscribed on it. So he bought Marge a bowling ball for her birthday that had his name on it. And folks, that is not cheerful giving. While I was working on this lesson, I came across a guy who said that when he was a kid, his parents once gave him money to buy them some Christmas gifts. Well, and he kind of did what Homer did, and he got his father some kind of action figurine from the toy section. He talked about what a great dad his father always had been and how he had always provided. He said his father opened up this gift, and he looked at it, and he handed it back to him. And he said, why don't you keep this for me? He said that even at 11 years old, he knew that he never wanted to feel the way he had felt that day when he gave his father that, that gift. And he said ever since that day, he has always give to give, and he, he don't give to get. God wants us to be cheerful givers, not reluctant. You know, Christmas is coming quick. You remember how much fun it was when you were a child, when it come time to open your gifts, how exciting that was? I would have never imagined it could be even more fun watching your children open up the gifts you give to them. It's so exciting and it makes you so happy. And that's what it means to be a cheerful giver. We should get that same feeling when we give to God. Now let me tell you a story I read many years ago. Yes, I have a story for everything, but this is a good one. I don't remember all the details. I just remember the important points, and I promise it will make you think. The story begins with a lonely, bitter woman who bakes bread for herself every day. But she was always annoyed that a beggar came to her door every day to ask for bread when he smelled it baking. She fed him, but she got to the point that she was so tired of his begging that she decided she would poison the next loaf of bread and end his life, then she would never have to hear his begging again. So the next day, the bread was all prepared as she had planned, and when she started to the door, she paused, and instead of giving him the poisoned loaf, she threw the poisoned bread in the fire, and she gave him another loaf that was fit for a king. Why she did that, she wasn't sure, but for some reason, she just couldn't go ahead with her plan. Several hours later, she heard another faint knock at the door and was sure it wasn't the beggar because he was always so loud. So she opened the door. She saw her son, who had not been home in several years. He was barely alive, but she was so glad to see him. She brought him in and asked him many questions. But the first thing he told her really shook her to the core. He told her he had tried to get home for days, but he was so weak and hungry he could barely walk. But as he was arriving in town, a man approached him with a loaf of bread and told him to eat it because it was really good bread and that it would make him strong enough to get home. Can you imagine how this mother felt? I believe there are many lessons to be learned here 
But think about Paul's words again in 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity. Remember three benefits of generosity. By giving the man the non-poisonous bread, she pleased God. She helped the hungry beggar, and it enriched her life because it saved her son. Now, I know we are talking about being a cheerful giver, and the woman was not cheerful. But sometimes we get annoyed with people, and there are so many people in the world who are hard to love. In all of Paul's letters, he writes that thanksgiving is the proper response to the outpouring of God's grace. I believe we can be reassured that the woman never felt the same way about the beggar again. I don't know the rest of the story, but I do know the story taught me something all those years ago, and I have never forgotten it. I make a lot of pies and give them away. And just so you know, I never put poison in any of them. I just said that to make you laugh so Robbie wouldn't get all the laughs today. By the way, John, have you eaten your pie yet? So one more time, let's just talk about this cycle. God gives us resources. He gives us money and stuff. And then he gives us opportunities in our lives that we can help others using these resources that he's given us. That's how we sow the seed. Then God multiplies the blessing and he gives it back to us so we can do it all over again. Verse 11 says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And then finally, the last sentence in verse 11 says, Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, during all this process, everyone is winning. And what does our scripture mean when it says all these things bring thanksgiving to God? So, first off, the fact that you're being obedient, giving cheerfully, that's one way you're giving thanksgiving to God. And most important, what about those people that were in need that received these gifts? You can hear them now. Thank you, God, for providing me in these difficult times. Thank you, God, for putting so-and-so, you know, in my life. So by us giving, all these good things are happening. Everybody's winning. You're winning. God's winning. The people in need are winning. And at the same time, you're giving thanksgiving to God. I am reminded of the story of a man who had a dream of his death. In his dream, he was first taken to hell, where he saw a table richly prepared with all kinds of food. But the people at the table were starving because they could not feed themselves with the long spoons they held in their hands. The man was then taken to heaven, where he saw the same well-prepared table and the people there with the same long spoons. The people there were not starving, but were full of food and joy. The difference was that the people in heaven weren't trying to feed themselves. They were feeding each other. We know that churches rely heavily on the generosity of their members to fulfill the calling of Jesus to meet the physical and spiritual needs of people in the community. When Christians withhold their gifts, whether it is money, time, or talents, they rob not only God, but also those people who are created in the image of God and who need the church to be the healing presence of Christ to them. Just take time to practice a little faith. Give until it hurts. It will be the best pain you ever experience. Remember, the Lord loves a cheerful giver.